Hello and welcome to The Week at Work. Uh, my name is David Gibney. I'm your host this week and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Connor McCabe. Uh, we're on our own this week. We've no guests and we've no other co-hosts. So you're you're stuck with us for the next couple of, uh, uh, well, almost an hour. Hopefully we'll keep this one a little bit shorter. As you know, as a regular listeners will know, left, um, The Week at Work is part of Left Block. We're uh, an alternative media and also a uh, political education project uh, in existence about a year now. But if you like what you hear, um, whether it's this podcast or any of our sister podcasts, please do us a favor, subscribe, share, post on Twitter, Facebook, whatever you use yourself, WhatsApp, share with other people and let, let, let them know that we're out there. Uh, if you want to help us along the way, you can go to patreon.com forward slash left block. That'll also give you some more information about the, uh, the project that we're running. Um, as always, we normally go to the front pages of the paper, so I'll do that very quickly now. I'm just going to run through a couple of the front pages. So on the Irish Mail on Sunday, we've got, and we'll definitely be getting into this one, we've got uh, Varadkar's bid to buy back votes, um, which is an interesting story that we'll come to in a number of uh, different settings. Uh, there's also a couple of stories there in terms of um, families agree killer dad must is to be buried by himself. And that's in relation to the tragedy in, in, in Kerry last week, um, a double murder, suicide, um, another very sad one. Um, on the next paper is the Sunday Times and uh, it has Varadkar rating plummets after Zappone fiasco. Now, this one is an interesting one in, the, in terms of the presentation of the uh, results of the behavior and attitude survey because it has on it um interesting in and of itself i suppose but satisfaction ratings of mary lou mcdonald being at 48 percent which is down one michael martin satisfaction ratings at 45 percent which is no change for uh, alan kelly at 44 which is no change uh but leo varadkar at 39 which is a nine point drop there which is quite significant but what, what i found really interesting is that they didn't go to the state of the parties on the front page of the sunday times because the state of the parties shows that Sinn Féin have a 10-point lead over Fine Gael, their closest uh, party, which is which is massive now. We'll be coming back to the Red Sea poll to talk about that one, which is probably a little bit more accurate. But either way, two polls shown that Sinn Féin are uh, way ahead in, in the pollings. Uh, another article there is Intel targets army firing range for 10,000 job factory. Um, and then there's a, another one. Theatre director is cyberbullying my Leo. Um, and this is in relation to Leo Varadkar's partner um, writing a letter, I suppose, during the week. Uh, or I think it might have been yesterday, actually, publishing a letter complaining about Varadkar being photographed at his uh, festival in his private time. Um, then there's uh, this on the independent front page. We've got blackmail threat alleged by GP in Varadkar leak. Uh, I haven't actually read this story, but it sounds like an interesting one. Um, it's O'Toole, uh, uh, Matthew O'Toole, I think is his name, um, the guy who leaked all the stuff uh, about Varadkar uh, and the, the, that, that's currently under investigation still. So uh, insin insinuations about fraud and sexual favours to tarnish that um, it might be an interesting one for people to read up on if they get a chance. Um, then I'm going to fly ahead and just go on to the, the, the tabloids. Um, the Irish Sun on Sunday, flight risk, first photo of fugitive, oh, fugitive Hutch in airport getaway, uh, Sunday world, monks drug empire exposed. Um, and what's interesting on the, because uh, I'm reading these off broadsheet, but normally they have all of the different papers there, but we have no business posts on the front pages there. Um, but I think Connor, you've been reading the business post. So do you want to tell us what's on the front page there? Hi, Dave. Yeah. Um, so they're running with their kind of Red Sea poll, which they conducted, which has, um, a similar outcome if, if different figures to the behavior and attitudes kind of a poll. They, they have a weird kind of headline. They, they see that Sinn Fein leads in Red Sea poll for first time as, as coalition kind of falters. Um, Sinn Fein are the largest party in the state and have been in terms of votes anyway since 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 february 2020 like you know um in the actual poll that does matter um now they have Fine Gael one percent below Sinn Féin whereas the times has a 10 percent difference but the trend is still roughly the same and what you're seeing is is the Fianna Fáil vote has been squeezed uh Sinn Féin are up on on the election, Fine Gael are up on the election. 
Um, and and Fianna Fáil are are squeezed. So I mean, like that's where votes are being kind of lost. Uh, so so Fine Gael's kind of strategy of of like blackguarding um, Sinn Féin is working. It's not like I've always I've always read that strategy as as trying to appeal to the soft Fine Gael uh, vote who, who who votes Fianna Fáil. Sorry, the soft kind of Fianna Fáil vote who would go kind of Fine Gael. And 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 they'd hit them with if you vote for Fianna Fáil, they'll go into coalition with with kind of Fianna Gael, and that seems to be kind of working from a from a Fianna Gael kind of pattern. So in terms of the Fianna Gael party, um, I can't see them being too worried about this poll. All the changes are, are within the margin of error, and it shows that, like pretty much, um. The next government, based on these kind of polls and based on the last kind of eighteen months, it'll either be Fine Gael led or it'll be Sinn Fein led, um, barring something a major happening in the next kind of few years. And what that major thing could be is Leo, because where there is kind of uh, your problems is with Leo. Be, uh, before we before we move on to Leo, um, I think it is we, I think it is kind of working on pointing out that this is the third. Red Sea poll where Sinn Fein have been stagnant. They've they've been at kind of twenty nine percent. Um, they're the largest in this poll because Fine Gael drops, isn't because they rose. Uh, where kind of uh, parties have have risen has been, uh, Sock Dems, Labour, and like Solidarity people before profit. Now all of this is within the margin of error. But it is interesting that it's not just a case of there's been a Sinn Féin surge in the last um, six months. Um, Sinn Féin is holding on to its lead, um, you know, and 29, 230%, that's a solid, that's a solid base. I mean, they'll be in power kind of next time around if that holds. Um, but it is interesting that the SOC Dems are, are slightly up. Labour is up more. Uh, Greens are down and solidarity is up uh, 23%, up to 3%. So, I mean, you know, that would be the, that's the main kind of live of where that story is. But it is, it is probably worth kind of teasing out more just what these polls kind of mean because we're going into the budget season, you know, if, you know, Fianna Fall had their thinking in like having there yesterday, you know, like there's a lot of politics being, been making it this week in the you know in the run up to the doll opening up the next uh, Wednesday and the large kind of uh, you know house and march as well. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is to get your opinion on um, is the demographics that are at play here, the the, mm. the generational issues that are at play because Sinn Fein has the support of twenty nine percent of eighteen to thirty four year olds compared to seventeen percent of Fine Gael. So, so they have the young vote. Let's say, let's just say, right? They're well ahead in the young vote. Interestingly, the young vote is still only twenty nine percent, which is their overall vote. And this is what shocked me was that the the next demographic, um, which is the one that I'm in, <laughs> has a, they have a massive lead. Uh, so the 35 to 54 year olds, Sinn Fein have 38 percent of the yeah, vote there. Yeah. That's massive. It's, it's a it's a it's a housing story. I mean, you know, uh, you know, like this is what, and and not just like housing in and of itself, but it, but just that the sheer cost of housing is like it's a squeezing out. Everything else in terms of childcare, in terms of like of like healthcare, all the stuff that like Finnegan voters don't care about, uh, and which kind of Sinn Fein have in their you know in their kind of policies, like that's what's speaking to that kind of generation, to our generation, um, because I'm just about in that uh, uh, cohort as well. Um, so um, so for me, that's that's where. It really kind of comes down to Sinn Fein started to turn around in around November, the de- de- December 2019. So by by a decent general, de- de- you know, decent general election, um, it was housing, you know, and and yeah. that was the and and you know that was the main thing that was being kind of put forward: housing and like childcare costs. These were the uh, two big things, um. So like. My reading of that is that Sinn Féin is still speaking to that. It's still speaking to the housing issue. And of course, that's down to Owen O'Brien, who has just been, who's been very strong on it. He's like, he is streets ahead of any other kind of politician who was dealing 
there with this, you know, two two books written on him now, you know, you yeah. know. So he's 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 just showing off at the, at, at, at like this stage. You know? <laughs> well, interestingly, like just just to complete the the um, the summary of the demographics of this, um, it, it it goes on and says that voters aged over fifty five showed a Sinn Fein slip behind with twenty percent of the support, which still isn't too bad, but. This is where it's really interesting is 41% of those over 55 are vote Fine Gael. And I don't think they've ever, that demographic, I know in, if you go back to the 70s, uh, you might get close to that level of support for Fine Gael. But it is back that far that Fine Gael were getting that level of support. So there is a cohort, like in that, in that demographic, Fine Gael have done quite well, despite all of the, the shit that's happened over the years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Fine Gael are up nearly 8% on their general election um, vote. They got 20, 20, just over 20% in the general election and, and they're on 28% in this kind of Red Sea poll. They're up and they're up because that soft kind of Fianna Fáil vote, uh, which just can't go, it would have gone maybe Labour in the past. Um, it's not really going back to labor they're up but it's not really kind of going back um and it's it's just it's left kind of uh Fianna falls so the Fianna fall has just it, it like a wave it's it's broken kind of two ways you know um it's all the voters seem to be going kind of um Fianna Gael, um and it's younger voters uh are like those under kind of 50 um who would have maybe if they got kind of pissed off it, it would kind of Fianna fall would have gone labor they seem to have finally made that shift and are going for for kind of a Sinn Fein. Like, I mean, this is this has been happening since uh, you know since the, since 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 two thousand and seven. Really, two thousand seven should have been uh, Sinn Fein's breakthrough year, um, and it wasn't because you know, uh, Greens and and Labour kind of picked up then on that. At twenty eleven. Sinn Féin did okay, but Labour really kind of benefited, really kind of benefited then from that. It seems now that those who have entered into that kind of into that age kind of bracket um, don't have the the kind of hang-ups for voting kind of Sinn Féin, which people who were their age 10, 15 years ago most definitely had. Um, so, so like what has been constant in Irish in Irish kind of political history is that when when Fianna Fáil loses that working class trade union vote, it usually goes back to Labour. But now it's not. It's gone to election like Féin. And like similarly, uh, that kind of middle class, older kind of civil servant, um, a, a, a public servant kind of vote that would have, that would never have voted for Labour. They've gone now uh, to kind of Fianna Gael. So Fianna Gael are doing well. Since the election, Sinn Féin are doing well since the election. Um, but Leo, there's a, there's a real, there's a real kind of push on, on him, himself. Just, just we've kind of Faustian pact, which the, which the Sindo has done with like Simon, with kind of, um, Simon Harris, uh, who is, it's, 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 it's an open joke now. It, it, that it's Harris who's who's been leaking, you know, and has been trying to undermine uh, Leo and like Simon and doing a doing a good job. Mm. But just, just on that, because the other part, I would like to see actually the demographics, and I'm sure I can get my hands somewhere on the, the Red Sea poll, the full one. But I would like to see the likes of the geographic generational breakdown for the likes of Sock Dems, Labour and Green Party. But again, one of the things I noticed, and I do this all the time, just looking at how the stories are presented, is that when you go into the middle of the business post, Michael Brennan's piece, which is the sort of the editorial piece around this um, this poll, he talks about, obviously, the story, which is Sinn Féin are the biggest party and all the rest of it. But the first quote that's taken is from Sean Sherlock from the Labour Party, who just happens to be the one, two, three, four, sixth biggest party. Now, I, I just find it fascinating that you don't go to his Sinn Féin TD first to ask them what they think of the poll or who, who you go to. And I know, you know, people have said it on Twitter a lot, but that, that, that they, they suspect the RTE are trying to give lifeline to the Labour Party. But when you go to the sixth biggest party to get the leading quote for a story like this, I just find it 
a bit strange. I don't understand. Oh, oh, like it's uh, that's actually spot on. You know, and like on the in the last Kretzky poll, um, people before profit did very well in in the younger kind of age group, 18, 18 and twenty four year olds. It, it'll be interesting just to see have they have they held on to that, because I mean, is is that where their growth has has been? I I, I was surprised by Sinn Féin, it, it sounds silly, but only having 29% of that, of the unkind age bracket, I would have expected more. So it'd be interesting just get a deep kind of break, you know, a, a deep kind of breakdown there of that. But in terms of the wider kind of politics, like, like we've always been asking for more of a class-based kind of politics in Ireland, and that's pretty much what we have now, you know. Um, there's, you know, there's... um. There's a large party of the right. There's a large party of the left, and then a smaller kind of the smaller parties who will who will make up any kind of future kind of coalition, you know. Um, and that seems to be where we're heading now. So the two main parties are Sinn Fein and Le Fine Gael. It's been two years now. I can't see that changing, you know. Okay, is this bad news though? This poll bad news for those who want a general election because when you see over the last number of months, I and I've had the suspicions myself. I felt as if Varadkar perhaps wanted to collapse the government because of some of the stuff that mm. he was coming out with and saying because he knew that it kills off in a fall. Um, and they become when we talk about that class politics, you talk about a left and a right. It, it would do him to be in that sort of Americanized sort of. Republican versus Democrats or British, you know, Labour versus Conservatives, mm. that we would have a Fine Gael versus Sinn Féin uh, element here. But when you see Fine Gael dropping slightly and especially Varadkar's support dropping, he's in trouble now. So there's less chance, I would argue, of a general election being called early. Um, but I'd- I don't see any chance of any general election until it's due in like 2024 by 2025 I've never well never is too strong but it is extremely rare for anyone to give up power voluntarily they don't do it uh, Justin Justin Trudeau is learning to his great cost what a stupid move kind of that is and you do not go to the people based on an opinion poll because it changes in the first week of the campaign um you know it's that old line that no plans no plan survives contact it, you know it, it, uh, like contact with kind of reality once you hit the doors it changes same as with kind of dublin south where Sinn Féin and and Fine Gael thought that they could push this narrative of it, like we're the two main parties now and actually go for a presidential kind of system we have a pr system and and we have a very highly like highly educated um uh um electorate in terms of how to use that system we all know how to use it so like i, I like i do get um frustrated it, it's mainly with the uh, comparisons with the british system which is first past the post and it's not here we have a PR system and people completely can understand that. So, um, it sounds like, like for me, that would be about right. Sinn Fein on around kind of 30, Fine Gael on like 30. And then it's a scramble for, for any kind of, um, like coalition. Therefore, can after that, like, and there'd be, there'd be no general election. There'll be, I cannot see unless like you would need something completely catastrophic. To really kind of cause that, whatever. Um, Fianna Fáil don't want it because their new leader, well, well, their new leader will will need two years just just to kind of build things up, forever as a tarnisher, you know. Um, and why would Fianna Gael give up a guaranteed slot of T shop in what it's uh, 15, 16 months time, um, for a gamble? And they'll still be in, like, like even if you had a general election in the morning, it would still be Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil. That's the only kind of combination. Maybe sock Dems because they're now being a bit kind of quiet on the whole thing, you know? So no matter what, it's a coalition. Mm. So why, why give it up? Why, 
why do that forever, you know? So no, I, yeah. I don't see any, any kind of general election. Yeah, no, I, I don't see one now happening for quite some time. It's just in rainbow elections, I suppose. You'd, you'd, if one party jumps, you might be in trouble. But I suppose that's why they brought the independents on board, which we might get into in a little bit because I've yeah, been reading but, some of the comments from them. Well, but, uh, well, I mean, you know, that then brings us on to kind of Fianna Fáil, who have shown themselves to be just absolute cowards. You know, self-serving, um, you know, self-obsessed kind of, self, um, kind of TDs who march themselves up to the top of the hill when speaking to journalists, but do absolutely nothing when it comes to the party then itself forever. Like Fianna Fáil, did you see any of the of the review that was done by like Sean Fleming of their of why the Fianna Fáil failed? There was one line in it that said that young people have have forgotten um the great kind of advances Fianna Fáil have made, such as free education and the free travel. Now, they were both brought in in, in 1967, you know? Yeah, go so, ahead. No, I mean, so they were, they were, they were both brought in in 1967, which means that not only were young people not born, when that happened, the parents weren't even born mm-hmm. when that happened. That's how far they go back. Because <laughs> in in the you know in Fianna Fáil's mind, nineteen sixty six. If you remember nineteen sixty seven, you you're, you're probably kind of still young. Even 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 kind of Jack Chambers. I mean, you know, he looks young, but that's like he looks kind of twenty four. But that's only because that's the age he he was when the vampire bit him. You know, I mean, you know, <laughs> that's the only reason why, he, you know, I mean, like Jack goes back to the 1600 kind of witch trials of in like in, in like Bavaria, you know. So, I mean, you know, it's an it's an old party, apart from those who've been bitten by like vampires, you know, and they have no clue, no ideas. They're getting they are getting eaten alive by Fine Gael on the right and by Sinn Féin on the left but the but the gas thing about is that no matter what the only party that is guaranteed to be in government connection around is Fianna Fáil mm, good point yeah they are guaranteed it's, it's... because they're still even in the worst polls they're still hitting 12-13% so they are guaranteed to be in government either a Sinn Féin led government or a Fianna Gael one but they will be in government yeah, unless, as you said at the start, uh, there's some drastic change, but I, I can't see yeah. Fianna Fáil creating some drastic change. Um, no. Yeah. Um, just, a, I don't know if you want to continue on the Red Sea poll or go m- move no, on. But the, no, it's it's going to move on all right, Chad. Like, like, you know. Just to say that there's one other element that I've got to go into, because I always do this, but uh, on the Red Sea poll, which is that majority of voters believe data centre construction should be restricted. Um which is an, a, another article by Michael Brennan uh, in the Business Post on the back of the Red Sea Post. So obviously, they didn't just ask the political questions uh, about parties and all the rest of it. But So 59% of those polled by Red Sea want data centre development to be controlled to reduce the risk of electricity rolling blackouts, um, in, in inverted commas, the rolling blackouts there, um, which is a sensible position, seeing as um, that we've had seven alerts in the last 15 months compared with 11 alerts. These are alerts that there's a blackout on the way because we're running out of energy. Um, but the primary increase in electricity use across the island is, and it, it is across the island, by the way, because they're, they're talking about the, the North having blackouts on the back of this as well because we share an electricity grid. But they, um, yeah, 59% of people are saying there should be a moratorium or stop the construction of data centres, which makes sense. Um, of course, this is, resisted by Google, Amazon, and Microsoft, who said they are opposed to any moratorium uh, or any re- additional restrictive conditions. And that's why I was, here's, here's our, a friend of a friend of ours, <laughs> I say ironically, uh, Michael McNamara, the independent Clare TD, said there was a need for data storage in a modern society. If we're going to use data, it has to be processed somewhere. Ireland is a very temperate climate, so having data sensors here is less damaging in terms of carbon emissions than other countries because we don't have to spend huge amounts on cooling uh, them in the summer or or heating them in the winter which is absolute nonsense i was going to use some other word there but um 
this, this stuff is, is is a load of crap. Will he be taking responsibility now when the winter comes and we're going to all have blackouts, rolling blackouts across the country? Because it's it's more and more likely with every single data centre that opens up. So um, interesting article there. And I know there's going to be more to follow on the data centre stuff. Another question in the poll, children should be required to wear masks in primary schools to reduce the risk of COVID-19 infections. 48% agree and 45% disagree. And this is the one that sort of, I don't know whether it's, well, look, I, I when I read it initially, I went on, fuck's sake. Uh, but it's the government should go ahead with COVID-19 booster vaccines to the population rather than giving supply to poorer countries to get their first COVID-19 vaccines. And it says 49% of people agree, uh, 41% disagree. And then I was just thinking, Jesus, this is just a nonsense question. It's not a question of it's not it's not a question of whether they get vaccines or we get vaccines. There is capacity to give everyone a vaccine. Ask the question: Should we get rid of the patents on these vaccines and just roll them out across the yeah. world? But yeah, instead they're asking this stupid question of let's play Irish people against poorer countries. Like fuck off. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Connor, if you had anything on that or whether you wanted to move on to no, another story. I mean, like I mean, like like in the kind of data centers. I mean, you know, this goes back to. Like, we don't have the infrastructure for for these. It's it's got nothing to do with whether Ireland has a temperate climate or not. We don't have the infrastructure for it because we're a fucking tax haven, and we don't invest in infrastructure. We've we've got a a shit um, public transport system, um, a creaking health system, um, a third level system that is that is that has to reject. Um, students who are who are overqualified for courses because they because they can't expand or won't expand the number of students who can get into uh, to come to a level by hiring more you know more you know like more collectors and investing in that system we're a tax haven so we have a tax haven infrastructure and then this idiot fucking wham from the 1980s, uh, you know, McNamara, he then shows up quoting verbatim from um, a data center cheat sheet, a, a data center cheat sheet. This is one of their stock answers, and he's just quoting from it verbatim. So you know, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious where where he is coming from. But you can't, you can be a world class tax haven or you can have world-class infrastructure you know mm. and like you know this gets into like there's a bit of stuff on this because um there's a pwc kind report which was commissioned like by the government they asked the government have paid thousands tens of thousands to pwc to ask pwc should should we should we remain a tax haven and PwC came back and said, yes, yes, you should. And they paid them maybe 100K for that kind of report. Um, surprise, surprise, surprise. Huh? But the interesting thing about it is that um, we're getting into the budget season now, and IBEC will be launching their their pre-budget kind of proposal next week. And I'd be very surprised if they don't have something in it about planning for Ireland's post-corporate taxation, tax haven kind of system, because they see that the writing is on the wall for the 12.5%. So they need to, to come up with other in, inventive ways to keep Ireland as a tax haven. And they'll probably use things like R&D and, and, and like so forth. There's one person here, I, I, I can't put my hands on it now, but he he's talking about Ireland, you know, about, oh yeah, it's, this one here. the business post is it yeah so it's the no it's 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 um it's colin murphy in the in the sindo and he talks about how um no i'm getting my stories kind of mixed up so i'll 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 kind of leave it there but the point being that you know can just on this like i said um we don't have we don't have an infrastructure for all the nice things which mm. like data centers can can bring us. But just on the infrastructure, yeah, we don't have the infrastructure, and you're absolutely bang on about you know the financing of the stuff. What is what we do have here 
is the natural resources. We have five times more water available to us per capita than the UK, for instance. So it does make sense uh, from their perspective, from the data center's perspective, to to, to come here because it uses a huge amount of water. The problem we have is that they're moving the most of the data centers are around the Dublin region where there isn't uh, a huge amount of water. So um, we've seen data centers refusing to move to the the west. And, and what's interesting is Michael McNamara is Clare based. You know, you mm-hmm. think he'd be saying, "Well, why don't you move over to the Shannon rather than redirecting the Shannon to Dublin?" Because we're spending two billion euros on moving the Shannon to Dublin for Irish water. So wh- why wouldn't they just, on the planning permissions, make them go over in that direction? But that doesn't address the cost. Well, one of the things Lorna Bogue said to me recently, which was a really, really good point on this stuff, is we we should actually have the the, the conversation about whether the level of data that's been stored is necessary in the first place. Um, you know, yeah. your your data center would be a lot smaller and use up less electricity if there were m- much stricter requirements and why Facebook needs X, Y, and Z. So um, it is a, a story that we've covered from time to time, and I'm sure it will roll on and on. Um, have you got any other stories there? Yeah, I mean, you know, just, just staying with the infrastructure kind of, uh, you know, story, there's this logic here. So, I mean, you know, that's the other kind of big story is the is is the two the two the two like um uh, people who have left Blitzonch Care just in the last week uh saying that they're being blocked just more or less by the HSE and the Department of Health. You know, so we have kind of Slunch Care, which is a cross party uh, policy. Um all parties, including kind of uh Fina Gale, have all kind of signed up to the idea of a single tier, uh, single payer uh, system. And there is just resistance and resistance and like resistance time and time and like time again. So, I mean, you know, this is quite serious, just, just, the, just the whole kind of thing, because it shows that, um, they, they keep on talking about money and funds being the, be a problem it's it's clear here that it's 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 it this is this is structural this is this is kind of institutional you know just the hse and health and they're just severely kind of you know kind of blocking um any move towards that kind of single tier kind of system which is necessary and also is something that if there is if there is to be a kind of border pole i just finished uh susan 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 like mckay's book on on like Northern kind of presence. And even in that, the people who who she interviewed said they could probably live with a United Ireland, but the 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 health, it's a big issue. So so even in terms of a future kind of border pole, it's clear, even at this stage, that health is going to be a huge part of that of that campaign. And if we don't have a credible health system or pathway for that. Why would anyone in the north vote for? You know, yeah. I, the the it, you talked about the structural stuff that seems to be going on. Uh, you might take some of this with a pinch of salt, but it appears from reading the Business Post articles about this that it's um, the it's about a concentration of power in the HSC. They want to hold on to all of it, whereas the the plan in Slonjaker is to decentralise it. Uh, into a number of different areas. I think it's six or seven different areas around the country. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, like I probably would take that in over the pinch of salt, but just that, you know, like for me, looking into the power grab, there are elements of it. This is a, that for me, it's a case of to a hammer, everything just looks like a nail. That, that what journalists in Ireland, in the, you know, for the most part, what they understand as blockage is fiefdoms and powers and their, you know, and people kind of block, you know, and people kind of fighting for this. Ireland has one of the lowest levels of um, of intensive care beds in the in the OECD, and and even the plan that was put forward this year in, in like February March for for the the HSC's kind of plan that would still be the case even after their you know, expansion of around kind of 80 beds. So like, you know, it's like, so they are dragging their heels on this time and time again. It's, it, it's, it's more than just, as you say, it's a pinch of salt thing. It's more than just five thumbs. That is part of it. But, 
But it's also about if you have a fully functioning uh, public health system, why go private? Mm. And it's about mm. and it's about like what Britain has a copped on to. How, it's what Ireland has been doing since the the 1950s. Um, you don't privatize the the entire system. You just make waiting lists, and then you and then that forces people through through pressures, through fear of their own families, and like and 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 concern for the kind of health kind of families into going into kind of private care. Then for that, you know, and now Britain has 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 kind of copped onto that. So just just once again, it's an example of how fantastic you know can right wing and you know Ireland is that we innovate these kind of systems that then Britain copies. Yeah, and, and whereas everyone says we learned from Thatcher, we were way before her. Ah, no, no, she was an amateur. She was an amateur. She was absolutely amateur. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that feeds into the, there's a, a decent piece there by Roisin Shorthall actually on on this. Uh, and she talks about actually Paul Reid and the commitments and all the rest of it. But uh, yeah, it, one of the points she makes is that there were 600,000 people on hospital waiting lists in 2017 when Slauncher Care was developed across party system. There's now 900,000 and no movement on the Slauncher Care plan. So it goes to show you like the vested yeah. interest. And just because just you mentioned um, waiting lists, my sister, whose son is, has has autism, um, during the week received a, a letter. I think I might have mentioned this to you. But uh, the letter is that it will be, it says that it will take 38 months for early intervention and the early intervention is to do an analysis of whether he needs further needs so it's yeah. not even a commitment to to, to give him the, the treatment in, in 38 months and three years and two two months like you have to wait so anyway my sister posted that on facebook last night and the number of people who've come in commenting underneath it saying same for us same for us we've had longer wait five-year wait and still nothing like as claire off the show said to me um yesterday this is the type of stuff that should bring down governments. It really is. Um, mm. You know, you can tell uh, the commitment of a state to how it treats its most vulnerable. These children who are getting to five, six, seven years of age without any assessments, never mind treatments, um, it, it, it's makes a significant impact on them because that's exactly when they need that treat. early intervention is what's needed. So it's, but here's the thing, almost every one of them that posted a comment underneath and it fits in with what you've been saying for years, Connor, almost every one of them has said we had to go private. Yeah. So I mean, that's it. You know, we won't if we make the wait list long enough, people will be forced to spend their own money in a private system. And yeah. so be it. And the thing to is that is that uh, private healthcare needs a public emergency system in place because um intensive care and emergency care is is not profitable. So you know if if someone needs to get into kind of A and E, um, they're always brought to a different public system because it's better than private. But the reason being is that it absorbs those costs for private. Private couldn't make money f- from that stuff. It can only make money from stuff that is borderline elective. And I say borderline because they treat it as if these things are elective and and that's just simply not like you know and like at that figure of 900,000 um Roisin doesn't say this in her article but that figure was actually pre-COVID that was January 2020 so it's not down to it's not like there's 300,000 more be, you know because of of the COVID there's around, there around 900,000 people on like waiting lists in January February 2020 you know mm-hmm. So I mean, this is because that's the that's the game, you know. Uh, as yeah. as um, you know, as um, as 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 kind of Brendan Howland said back in the back in the kind of two thousands, if you have a functioning public health system, why do you need private? You know, mm. and that's the and that's the whole kind of thinking. Which, when you step back from, is like shows just like appeals to to kind of morality. That's what makes me kind of you know like laugh here almost because they have none like this is barbaric like objectively that's barbaric to tell you know thousands of of parents um either wait and see your child suffer more or 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 kind of pray or go private we don't care which one you do because it's about money and that's actually state policy you know so i mean 
on that river that uh, that then ties into something that is what kind of I kind of maybe kind of going back to and it's Leo and his tax breaks because you know going back to we can they keep on saying to us we can't afford these things it's going no we can't on our present kind of tax rates but if you bring in a third rate of tax if you stop having a, a low kind of corporate tax rate you know because I mean they like the FDI figures are turned into a work of fiction as now like the largest kind of the largest by far uh, the largest uh, union that works in like FDI is is mandate because they now include foreign-owned kind of shops as being FDI so I mean you know I mean like half of the jobs no um as many people work in so-called FDI kind of retail as you do in in like IT, you know, but that's not the narrative which you like to kind of put forward because it's not Tesco and and uh, and like you know and and Boots which they see as being kind of FDI, but that's what they do for the stats because they're trying to hide this whole kind of system that's going on. But Leo, Leo is is turned into a danger in in terms of the, the economic health of this country. Like he's he like and you probably get it as well. He's he's calling for half a billion in tax cuts next month like half a billion in 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 in, 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 in like tax cuts because we've nobody on a waiting list <laughs> and we don't have a housing crisis and we don't have a public infrastructure kind of crisis there's no public uh, you know a public transport kind of crisis there's no um energy crisis that is going on it's all self-inflicted you know uh, uh, this is one of the stories that I had down to talk about. So the, the headline on the front page of the business post is Virat Kurt to push for tax cuts and a state pension increase. And like, how how do those two things marry, right? So you're going to look for a, an increase in the state pension. Not, this isn't an increase in the state pension age, which we, we might get to either later on today or at another another show. But this is an, an, an increase in the state pension while at the same time cutting tax for workers, right? Those two, and, and like there's articles inside of the Business Post talking about the, the national debt and how it needs to be paid down. And we're up at 250 million, or two, sorry, 250 billion euros now. Considering, by the way, 15 years ago, it was at 47 billion. Um, and, you know, he had the economic crisis brought up about 212 million, but it's growing still every year. And he's talking about tax cuts, right? I'm, I'm ignoring all the modern monetary theory stuff of printing, but we don't, because we don't have control of our own central bank anyway, right? So this stuff to me, and I'm saying it to you before we came on air, Connor. This stuff to me, if the, if Sinn Fein came out with a statement like this, um, it would be all over the place saying populist nonsense, can't afford it. And in fact, the business post on I don't know what page it's on, but later on, it actually has a cartoon taking the piss out of Sinn Fein. It has a picture of Michal Martin being presented with election 2020 disaster report, right? And the top book on it, it says the 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 cartoon is about how Fianna Fáil is obsessed with Sinn Féin. And the top book on it says, Making the Rich Pay for Everything by Pierce Doherty. A little book there, right? And I, I'm just going like, how do they marry these positions that they can present Leo Varadkar as a responsible statesman in the same breath that they take the piss out of other parties, left-wing parties, for trying to invest in infrastructure and in the state, right? So Varadkar to push for state pension, uh, for tax cuts and state pension increase. It's just, it's mind-boggling that they don't even see the hypocrisy in this stuff, or they don't call them out for being so-called populist. I hate the word, but look, that's the way they'd use it on Yeah, and, 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 and like the, 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 the kind of tax increase that he's um, objecting to is in PRSI, um, which on the employer side, and uh, not on the employee side, but on the employer side, is one of the lowest this, in, in like Europe. You know what I mean? It's like, the you self, know, it's a self-employed one uh, that he's objecting to here specifically. On the, it's at four percent, and they're talking about bringing it up to ten percent by twenty thirty, and eleven percent by twenty fifty, which would be the standard rate that the rest of us all have to pay. It is, you know, and, and like, you know, like, I mean, this gets into if that, you know, if, if, if you're going to bring people into the state pension system, um, into the contributory, uh, state pension system, because everyone, 
everyone has a right to the at the moment anyway to the uh, to the uh, state one um that 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 you need to make those contributions you know so i mean you know i mean you know like this this does make sense even even in terms of what the central bank said last week the central bank kind of came out and said you can do all these things you can build all the houses you can do all these things you can borrow more for it but you need also to like raise taxes to pay for that and they're right and where there is room for that is on there's a rate you know there's room for a third rate of the income tax and there's a and there's room for closing down a lot of the of the kind of tax breaks that, it, that are out there both for businesses and for kind of people as well and for businesses like i mean those kind of tax breaks that are about um sharing kind of profits rather than um investment the 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 two largest costs the three largest costs for kind of businesses in ireland today they're mostly is you know it's wages it's insurance and it's rents and and they won't tackle insurance and the like rent costs so i mean that's where that's where things have to be tackled, you know, and there's no, there's no real sense of that in you know, really happening. He's, Leo's just calling for the like, tax breaks instead, instead of actually taking on insurance costs and like rental costs for like businesses. Uh, I look, there's, it's linked, obviously, this article by Ian Guider. I don't know if you read it, Connor, but I found it an interesting article to read anyway. Pensions crunch coming as state struggles to pay the bills. And it's obviously, it's referring to the so-called yeah. Demographic time on our, yeah, is. yeah, yeah. It's struggling on our on our present kind of tax rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why Absolutely. it's struggling. And, and on you know, and, and the subheading says the government needs to find new sources of cash, and the tax breaks for high earners with lucrative pensions might be one area to consider. So it, it, it it's fitting in with what we're saying the whole article. But I'm 15 years working in the communications, um, sort of left-wing communication sort of stuff, right? Looking at this stuff. And I remember in 2007 uh, launching a book by Jim Stewart from Trinity College Dublin about this whole demographics time. It's almost like last week we discussed this permanent housing crisis that we've had. We've had housing crisis every decade. And this pension stuff is the exact same thing. And in that book that that, that Jim Stewart uh, launched, he, he talked about the tax breaks that come on the back of the pension system. So a worker who's whatever age, you know, of working age, and he's putting in to his private pension, he gets a tax relief, tax break on it. So um, currently it's set at 40%. I thought they'd reduced it, but this article is saying that it's at 40% the tax break at the high, if you pay at, at the high earners, right? Back then in 2007, there was more tax refunds being given out for people paying into the pension system than they were actually paying in the total payment of the public pension system to, 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 to retired workers. Right. Yeah. Um, it seems that that's continued with the, some of the data that he's got here. Um, he's saying that you can take out maximum sums uh, of 200,000 yeah. euro for tax free completely. Uh, if you pay, take out 500 grand. Anyway, I'm not going to get into all of that, but here, here's no, actually solution. that's the, no, that's the key point of it. Is that part they that it is that part they just can read out because these are not being these pension contributions are not being used for pensions. If they're being used as tax avoidance, you pay into the scheme, you wait five years, and then you cash it out, and it's all tax free. That's what you well, do. It's it it gets worse, obviously. Uh, that's one part of it, but it's saying so, that reduces- no, these aren't about kind of pensions, and they keep on saying that hmm. that these kind of private ones, they're they'll lessen the the burden they're on the state dead in the future. No, they won't, because it's been used as tax avoidance. It's a way to put kind of profits into into a pension, um, not pay any kind of corporation tax on them, because it's profits going into that pension uh, fund, and then you cash that in. Two years later, and you make money then on that because it's all kind of tax free. Well, it says here as well, right? Because uh, there's a, there's a number of really interesting parts to this, but it says that if they reduce the top rate of tax relief of forty one percent to the standard rate of twenty percent, it would save the exchequer one billion annually just to reduce the the, the rate from forty one, not to scrap the, the 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 reliefs that you get. But that shows you the scale of the high earners because we we spoke about this last week about you, you know 
the median income in Ireland is about 30 grand, right? You only start paying uh, the high rate of tax at about 36, 37,000 euros, if I'm right. Yeah. Um, right. So if you think that, uh, and it's about 25% of the population are earning more than that, if I'm about right on that. So if you think about that, if you just reduced it for the top earners, the top 25% of earners, you would save the exchequer 1 billion euros annually. It says even introducing a new rate of 30% for everyone who invests in a pension, it would still generate an extra 420 million. And rather than Varadkar having the conversation about how we could save that by by reducing uh, that stuff, he wants to uh, he wants to do the two things that we mentioned earlier on. He wants to push for tax cuts instead of raising money and then increase the state pension as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, this is this is Fianna Fáil 1977 all over again, you know, um, which 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 in in like in, in like Fianna, in like Fianna Fáil's timeline, all young people remember because it's it's only 1977. Um, so, I mean, you know, I mean, this is this is the utter kind of madness that is put forward by Leo. And he is not called out on it. He's called out on the most silliest of the other things. But the guy is an actual liability uh, to the state, and he's going to cost us billions. Mm. And has already cost us. Has billions. already, you know, and he will, you know. Yeah, I mean, the Varadkar stuff is—is is, I don't know whether we want to get into. It. We probably don't. It's probably all done out on this stuff. But attending a comp or a, a festival last week and. Um, uh, while he's part of a government that's banning festivals here, all the hypocrisy uh, uh, on full display. And then we've got the front page as well of the um, business post. And I think it's front page of a lot of the Buffalo Ireland were told outdoor hotel events were not allowed. This is the event that Radker went to as well, but it's the Coveney text messages that that everyone's up in arms about. The whole disaster, as as it were, for um, Fine Gael. But uh, yeah, I don't know whether you want to get into that or if you've got any other stories you want to touch on before we, we move on. No, I mean, you know, I mean, like, like I do see all that stuff as being, you I mean, that's, that's a side issue. And Leo's kind of real problem is in kind of decisions he's making in cabinet. And like, uh, as the leader, he will kind of force through that kind of 500 million in, 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 in like tax cuts, which is just a disaster, absolute disaster. Just, I, I, I'm going to stick on that actually, because I read the Irish Independent yesterday, um, and it was front page of that one. We haven't done yesterday's papers at all, but PRSI hikes to help cover cost of delayed rise in pension age. And this goes to that story I mentioned earlier on, the big one where we've seen a report coming out during the week, uh, that they're going to extend the retirement age from, it's technically 66, but most people retire at 65 with the bridging pension, or I don't know what it's called, but uh, moving out, out to 68, I think it is, uh, eventually. Um, in a phased basis, where they increase it every three or four months or something, that you, mm-hmm. you, you move up. But um, yeah, the way it's presented there is that, you know, this is ordinary workers, they're going to face this. So that's it's almost like we need to resist this. Uh, not, not resist the increase in the pension age, but the, the payment for it, the PRSI hikes to it, right, uh, on the self-employed. I mean, you've done some great work over the years, Connor, on the bulk of self-employment and, you know, people registering themselves as a, as a company instead of being paid by the likes of RTE. Um, they, they're the people who are trying to protect here in, in not increasing the self-employed pension contribution or, or PRSI contribution um, it, from 4% to 11% in the coming years. When I mean, it says in the coming years, it said it wouldn't even kick in until the 2030s, but you know, the coming years is, is, is not, not as far away as we, we probably imagined it's going to be. Um, I don't know if if you've any comments or seen any, read anything at all on the increase to the pension age, which I know Connor or uh, Kieran Nugent had tweeted yesterday that where Ireland is already among the highest retirement ages in all of the EU. So, yeah, um, you what? know, I mean, you know, this goes back to, you know, how the state can operate here, where this uh, this policy, I mean, it's it's got nothing to do with affordability. It's all about kind of profits for for like private kind of pension funds that you know, if it's later, then they then they have to pay out kind of later. That's all mm-hmm. that it's about. It's all about their needs and their investment needs because having to pay, they have all. They have trillions in in funds, um, in you know internationally, and would rather you know keep on playing with that money in, in, instead of having to like, pay it out in like pensions, you know. 
So by extending it, this is purely from the industry. It's, it's got nothing to do with the viability f- for the state or kind of going forward because like, there is no pension time bomb. You pay pensions with current earnings, not from future ones. That's how it's done. We pay pensions today out of the funds that are being paid into the pot today. And that's how it goes. It's a, it's a horizontal kind of payment, but it's framed in a way that, you know, it's in the, like future and, you know, there's a big kind of time bomb that is, that's heading kind of this way. Um, the private pensions aren't going to solve that because they're not interested in that. They just want to take the money in, invest it and make their cut then from that. So, so time, time and again, we, you know, we just see. The same kind of vested interests that that keep on kind of coming through in insurance, in in like landlordism, in like housing, um, and in kind of pensions. It's all on one side. It's all on the. It's all on how can we best help the the profits of these companies rather than what's the kind of societal kind of dynamics that are at play here. And there's one example here with the. It's an article from the Asindo that the state to share costs with builders. Where um, deeper, uh, the Department of Public Expenditure ha- has engaged EY, the accountancy firm, to de- develop a formula to share a- additional costs on on construction projects if inflate if like cost inflation goes over a like certain target. Um, what this means is that when the state kind of it the the state is, is going to sign up to paying out when it doesn't know the final payment. That's what it's saying. And uh, it will guarantee payments, uh, not knowing what the final cost will be. It's done this kind of there already. That's, that's, the, that's the main kind of uh, fault with the National Children's Hospital. There's no, in the contract for the National Children's Hospital, there is no final cost. And it's written into it that a final, that a final cost, it's a movable feast. And that's why it just keeps on kind of going up and up and up. It's written in the contract. They want to streamline or kind of mainline this for, for all construction kind of projects where, where kind of builders say, well, we can't, well, no, we think we'll make X profit, but when we start building, that mightn't be there. At the end, well, you know, if that's the case, then have a state built. Why is it being kind of private? Like, like all you're doing here is a guaranteeing profit. You're not guaranteeing construction. Why is the state guaranteeing profit with taxpayers' money? It's not guaranteeing construction. It was about construction. You build it yourself. Why are you mm. doing this to fucking parties? It's all about profit. And there's quite a lot. Actually, there's an article there in the Business Post. I know it's a slightly different on the National House Builder. Kern positions as a National House Builder as profits double. double. Um, and obviously, it's just one story about one company, but Kern Homes uh, operating profits in the first six months of this year were $11.7 million just for the first six months. Um, and the revenue for the the house builder over the same period was 130 million. But as you said, like I really, I I do think I'd like to do a full episode just on public ownership, specifically on public ownership of, um, and pub, like not just public ownership, but, but the state stepping in and building things uh, around housing, around uh, healthcare, around all all of the stuff, public transport, you know. A lot of people don't even still don't even realize that the Lewis isn't publicly owned, but Transdev are guaranteed profits, you know, from this contract that they've got. Yeah. It's, the, it's the same with everything else, but we never talk about profit sharing on, on the flip side. There's no discussion around Cairn Homes having to pay higher corporation tax because their profits have just doubled on, on, on house building. There's never any discussion on I know you can't really do that anyway, but um, I just, I'd like to do a specific uh episode on public ownership if we could get it in the future um i don't know if you got any other stories you wanted to get onto there before we move on or perhaps oh, finish up like i think that's about it like you know so yeah I, I i did notice that we had another article there by dan o'brien this week in the business post um a declining and dysfunctional us is not in our interest so oh um, that's that's the one where he says that's the article um 
Jesus Christ, Dan O'Brien. That's the one where he says in it that like one third of all jobs in Dublin are like FDI jobs. Like, uh, like yeah. he just, like I mean, this is a man who, in like you know, has called for Bertie Ahern to be made head of the UN. This is back in <laughs> in like two thousand and five. He said we should make Bertie Ahern head of the UN. If that happened, all that Bertie would do is just move it to fucking Fagans. Like you know, mm. I mean, it's just it's 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 unbelievable idea. In two thousand and eight, he said that the global financial crisis is completely overdone. Ireland will sell through this, so will the US. It is no problem here. He consistently gets things wrong and he consistently gets a gig. But if you say things in Ireland with a really strong brass neck, you're given, and, and as you've pointed out again, umpteen times, and fold your arms while you're doing it. Fold you your arms. That's to, it. <laughs> fold your arms. He, he, reminds me, he reminds me of Chance the Gardener in like being there. You know what I mean? Like just someone who was just failed upwards you know yeah. and um but, it's completely out of his depth and you know you know like you know should be weeding you know that's his main kind of uh, skill but he's an, he's an idiot and he just gets he just keeps on getting kind of these gigs you know and just comes out with shite you know what i mean like you know yeah. like he's he, he's a kind of dr evil you know my dad invented uh, you know the full stop you know he, he just makes shit up you know mm. Well, I'm going to wrap up with a couple of very short stories and a question to you at the end, Connor, um, if you don't mind. But the, the the first story isn't in the papers. And we probably, again, should go back to John Barry's suggestion about things that didn't make it to the papers in the Sunday. Um, now, it was in the papers during the week, but it's about Amazon opening up uh, a new warehouse in Ireland with the creation of 500 jobs and how that's all being celebrated. And that's wonderful and fantastic. And um, then it's just because this is the week of work and we like to reflect the views of trade unions. The, there's no point uh, as the CW and SIP2 both came out with statements yesterday. Um, yeah, we welcome jobs, but they have to be quality jobs. They have to be decent jobs. And Amazon immediately, by the way, immediately in the statement before they even got the jobs there have said, we don't believe trade unions is a, a sustainable position for our, our staff members already out with the anti-union statements before they've even started with the jobs um and again another another trade union story sip to enforce a staff stage of protest so 300 staff who work in jobs clubs and local employment services stopped work and protested outside government buildings uh sip to enforce and members are protesting the plans to privatize the service uh by putting them out to tender it's this incredible still like there's just everything is for sale in ireland everything this doesn't matter what type of job it is um then there's a story here. The ECB predicts more growth. And when I saw the figures, I, I was a bit taken aback because I knew there'd be growth. There's always an attempt at growth. But the European Central Bank raised its forecast for economic growth in 2021. The Eurozone is now expecting to grow by 5% this year, up from 4.6% previously forecasted. So uh, economically, somebody's doing quite well uh, by the, the looks of it. And this is where I wanted to ask you the question, Connor. Uh, it's if you've, if you've read about this report that came out during the week, Ireland deemed a tax haven. So Ireland is a tax yeah. haven, according to the EU tax observatory run by the Paris School of Economics. Uh, the group said Ireland was one of 17 locations which large European banks used to place profits to minimise tax obligations. The banks placed 20 billion in tax havens every year, the research said. Not, there, I'm not saying if you were aware, I know you know Ireland's a tax haven. I just hadn't seen anything else in the media this week about that report coming out. Had you seen anything? No, no, there's absolutely nothing, you know. And again, you know, this gets into like how it's almost impossible to bring up Ireland's kind of tax haven kind of status in any kind of debate and have an actual kind of rational one because uh, the the amount of of like misinformation, uh, bullshit uh, myths that are out there, it is overwhelming. Like, there's not one rate for the multinationals and then one for Irish companies. All companies are subject to the same regime, which means then that the level of of um, of Irish companies that don't pay any corporation tax has has been going up in the last fifteen years. It's now at kind of sixty six percent of all companies in Ireland pay in, in any one year pay zero corporation tax. That is unsustainable. Like what we've done is that we have outsourced. Our, our corporation tax payment uh, to uh, to a handful of, of kind of multinationals, you know, instead of actually having um, a rate that is viable um, in Ireland and a rate that is viable, 
would be viable if you were to lower um, insurance costs and, and like rental costs, you know, because a corporation tax rate does not help your average uh, business in Ireland. It only it only helps those who are making big enough profits for it to make a difference. What is killing uh, most businesses in Ireland is well, labour costs is what they say. So we're, well, you know, it's it's what they they maintain but the main kind of uh but the main kind of blockage there is that why do why they go after why they go after labor costs is because they can't go after the two other costs which is insurance and and rents you know so you would need to, uh, to tackle the insurance business in ireland and tackle landlords yeah. so that can't be done uh corporation tax it, 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 it can't be done these are the real kind of blockages that are there towards having nice things. <laughs> nice way to wrap it up. I, I just found it fascinating that I hadn't heard a thing about this report coming out. And the only bit that I've seen covered in any of the newspapers, and I'm probably wrong, this probably was covered, uh, but is in the, the week that was, which is the short bit in the Business Post Plus. It gives mm. you the short news of what's happened during the week. But anyway... Uh, listen, this, this has been the week of work. I've been your host, uh, David Gibney. Um, I want to thank my co-host, Conor McCabe, as well. As usual, call out to uh, share, subscribe, do whatever you can um, to support the podcast. And if you've got a few quid to spare and you don't mind uh, losing it to a, a political education and alternative media project, throw it into our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash left block, uh, left block with a C, no K at the end. And again, thanks again. And we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>